0: As believers in Christ, we have been called to a life of Christian joy. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, our teacher and pastor, Chris Gordon, here on Abounding Grace, will talk about that here today as we turn our attention to Philippians 3 in the first 10 verses. You know, oftentimes we get the tail wagging the dog, the cart before the horse, as they say. We tend to think that in order to have joy, we've got to be doing things. And as we'll find out today and tomorrow, it's really quite the opposite, at least in God's economy anyway. In order to be able to do things, we need to be fueled by that Christian joy. And Pastor Chris will explain as we go along. Let's catch up with him, shall we? Again, Philippians chapter 3, first 10 verses. Pastor Chris Gordon on Abounding Grace.
1: Let's um, begin at verse 1. This is the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1 of Philippians chapter 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Though so I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And there will end the reading of God's word today. Well, I have to say that uh, in my um, writing of all these sermons on Philippians so far, this was the most difficult for me. This one, uh, I, I, um, I was buried in my study trying to, trying to think a lot about this one and figure this one out, exactly what Paul is doing here and exactly what Paul is saying to us here. Um, inspiration of the Spirit, of course, because this is this is in my experience. I, I've always appreciated. I think I've had a good understanding of what Paul's doing here, but it always seemed to me to be ripped out of context in the book. It seemed to be this section that was great about justification. But I didn't quite understand how it fit in the larger context of this book. So it would be preached separately and I think we lose something when you, um, when you miss the whole context. That's why um, preaching through books is, is so helpful because you can see what the author's doing. And I wanted to understand, why is Paul saying at this point what he's saying right here, right now? Why, why did he launch into this sort of personal testimony and then claim his, what he thought of himself in his own righteousness? Before I, couldn't, before I got there and I couldn't get away from this thought, was this connection to joy. And that the, um, the book of Philippians has been calling us to have the mind of Jesus. And I couldn't get out of my head that little statement that was made uh, in the book of Hebrews that for the joy that was before Jesus, he endured the cross and then sat down. (laughs) Joy. He wants that mind in us. That's been really what he's pressing on in this book. He wants the same mind, have the same mind that was given to you in Christ Jesus that he had, that he exercised. That's been a a great purpose of this. But in Philippi, joy in the gospel was gone. Now, that's that's a startling thing to say. That in a church, in a body, joy can be absent. You can move away from joy, or you never may have really had joy. And it was just this... Stale existence in the church of Jesus Christ that led to all kinds of bad things, as we're going to look at. And instead of joy, you had complaining, you had disputing, you had bitter spirits, and the body of Christ was separating. This is really important. (laughs) It's a really important section today to study. Paul now gives the greatest way out of that when this sort of cloud hangs over a church and it has lost its way and lost its joy. And that's what we're looking at today. Here's my question. What robs a church of joy? What robs a church? What robs you as a, a Christian of joy? Before we answer that, We need to understand, of course, what joy is and what joy is meant to be. But I'm going to actually look at this in reverse today. I want to first come at this by thinking about the greatest threat to joy. What takes joy? What robs joy? What hurts our joy in Christ? And then we can come back and say, okay, now I can appreciate what joy is meant to be. So that's really all I'm doing today. You're getting a two-pointer. And I'm way ahead on time. So this this is good. Paul is transitioning a bit at this point. We come to a new focus in chapter 3. We've spent a lot of time looking in this book at remarkable things and struggles that this church was was internally facing, you know, internal divide and fighting, which I've made the case was due to external pressure from a culture that was turning on them. As that happened, their joy in the gospel was gone. Their mission was being compromised and they turned inward. This is what people do in difficult times. They turn inward, don't they? That's what we do. We know this when trials and hardships come. We just want to be left alone. We don't want attention. Well, what Paul's done is changed their perspective of how they look at hardship. That's what he's been working to do so far in this book. And it's as if he said, You're, you've been looking at everything wrongly. You have allowed the sufferings of this present life and the sufferings of this present evil age to take you away from your identity and purpose as the body of Christ as you've turned inward on each other. Paul's already made the case that everything that we face is what? How did he look at it when he said in chapter one, when I'm in prison, all of that's an opportunity for the gospel. That's how I look at things. That's how my redeemed mind looks at everything now. So that it's not only appointed for you to believe the gospel. But your sufferings are appointed. That's the end of chapter 1 verse 29. Your very sufferings are appointed. That's a sovereign God you serve. And all of that has this great intention. That in the furtherance of the gospel you would have the mind of Jesus. And look like him. That's what sanctification is all about. That's what working uh, working out your salvation is all about. We looked at. But at this point, I think Paul um, explains the consequences of having the mind of Jesus. That's the transition into chapter 3. What should be the consequence of having the mind of Jesus in the body of Christ and in the Christian life? That's what he's wrestling with. That's what he's helping us to to see. And that's what verse 1 is, the call. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is not a trouble to me, but it's safe for you. It's an interesting thing he adds there right after that. Rejoice in the Lord. In the next chapter, he's already said it back in in chapter 1. And now he says it again. And then he's going to say it again in chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. Have joy. That's one of the most difficult aspects of sanctification. Remember Thomas, I use it all the time because I love it. Thomas Watson said, there's two things I found incredibly hard in the ministry as a pastor. It is to make the wicked sad and the righteous happy. Rejoice in the Lord over and over and over. And he doesn't want this to be understood. I think it's interesting how he qualifies this right after. He says, but I don't want you to think that what I'm saying to you is some kind of cheap thing. I know there's a lot of grumbling and complaining going on and disputing. I pulled up out here in the um, parking lot today behind a personalized license plate and it said old grump. <laughs> now, maybe that meant old gramp. It may not. Those might two be the same things. I don't know. You have a right to put that on your license plate, old grump. We struggle with that. That's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about. Paul knows that this call to joy is not some cheap thing. I'm not just saying put on the plastered face and smile and some fake disposition of joy, no matter your. That's not, that's not what he's calling us to. That's not what this is. I know that you could hear me say that, says Paul, and I'm going to keep saying it. Because it's good for you to hear it. (laughs) You may not like it, but it's good for you to hear it. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I'm going to keep saying it. Rejoice in the Lord. That is necessary for you. That, he says, is healthy for you to hear. Before I unpack what joy is, let me first explain what is your greatest threat to enjoying the life God's given you. That comes in verse 2. After this call to rejoice, I want you to notice what he says immediately. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. What an interesting connection. I think you can miss the connection here. And I I think it would really wreck the flow of thought if you miss this connection. It doesn't even seem at first glance to make sense. Rejoice. Beware of dogs. Isn't that just a whole different thing? No. No. This is a really important connection to Christian Christian joy and the life that the Lord's given us to rejoice in the Lord. He says right afterward, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Beware of the dogs. Dogs were, um, were scavengers in the ancient world, and dogs bite. Often Gentiles were called dogs in the Bible, and the Psalms use this designation frequently to speak of evil workers, constant workers of iniquity in the fellowship. There's something you need to be on a big lookout for. You guys put those signs on your fences, beware of dogs. You need to wear that around your neck. Beware of the dogs. What are they? They are those trying to rob you of Christian joy. What do I mean by that? There was nothing that caused Paul more grief than those who were trying to bring him And the church back into bondage. Along with all the terrible fruits that followed in that. There were always those trying to put Christians back under the law. They were always laying yokes of bondage on people. They were always doing this. And the fruit of it was bitter complaining, fighting, and a bunch of miserable people who argued about everything. Jesus dealt with this all the time. Pharisees complained that the disciples didn't wash their hands correctly when they ate bread. Remember that? And Jesus immediately goes after you hypocrites. In vain, do you worship me, teaching his commandments, the doctrines of men? And you want to talk about the fruit of what you guys do? Here's the fruit of it. The law says you should care for your parents. But when that, is, that money comes out, you say Corbin so that you don't have to help your parents. Don't play that game with me. Your whitewashed tombs started with bitter complaining, and they wanted to put them back under yokes of bondage, and the bad fruits were that kind of division. It's phony religion. It's self-serving religion. It's fake. It's fake. Those are dogs. Those are dogs. Now this is what Paul's aiming for. Notice what he says. We don't worship like that. We don't worship God like that. It's interesting that worship, it never gets connected in this particular passage. But Paul really really mentions worship for an important reason, that we worship in the Spirit. And I think that gets overlooked because Paul, what he's saying here, what the heart of what he's going after here is, I have learned to count everything lost to gain Jesus. Jesus is my righteousness. Jesus is my joy. Jesus brought an end to me. Remember the book theme. The single greatest attack on the church and the advancement of the gospel and the purpose of the mission is by, in this case, what are called Judaizers who are constantly saying things like this. You're a failure. You're never doing enough. You need to be circumcised. You need to do this and that with the great goal that really you're never doing enough to please God. Your religion is faulty. There are people who self-righteously treat other people like this in life. You know this. They're always looking down on their neighbor because their neighbor is never quite doing things right. And they're never doing enough. There are people like that in the kingdom. And their expectations of what it should look like is from them. And they lay yokes constantly on people. And the fruit of that is complaining and bitterness and anger. It's just naturally, I guess, programmed in us from the fall. But this is an important moment to say what the dogs were saying. You're just lazy. You're never doing enough for God. A lot of people who serve in the kingdom do it with this kind of motive. Now, people may be lazy. But what's get, what gets people up? <laughs> That's the question. Paul knows at the heart of the dog mentality was an attempt to justify themselves before God. God. He saw it for what it was. He saw it as a way of bringing people back under bondage. And and what's Paul concerned about? Paul is is deeply concerned about a people who are not confident in Jesus. Paul is deeply concerned about this. A people who are not confident in Christ. His forgiveness, his love, his favor, his acceptance will never be a people on mission to set anyone else free. You see? You know this kind of subtle attack drives all the problems in the church? I've seen um, churches ripped apart off mission because what subtly came in the door was a turning people away from Jesus. Voices came in and they said, you people are just failures. And you people are not doing enough. And the very status of God Their very status before God, which Paul has labored everywhere to reassure them of his love for them, was completely overturned. And and the fruit of it was in these churches, the fruit of it is in these churches when this happens, is a church rips, it becomes ripped apart in internal divide and divisions and fighting. You realize that your greatest threat to joy is an attack on your confidence, in your right standing with God? I mean, this is really getting to the heart of it. People who live with a cloud under their head are the most ineffective Christians in fulfilling any kind of mission. I mean, you know this. When What do they tell people who are hurting and suffering? And it's hard to say. I don't, I don't always know when to say it or how to say it. But when people are hurting or suffering, the most difficult thing is is to try to get them up to use what they're going through to be a blessing to others because being left alone in that suffering keeps you down. And um, there's a time to help them out to say, your greatest joy will come as you use your gifts to be a blessing to someone else because your suffering, which was appointed, is meant to further the gospel. The greatest Threat to your joy is an attack on your confidence. See a people confident in God's love. See a people who do not define their hardships as an indication of God's divine displeasure on them and who live confident that God's plan and purpose is being worked out and whatever comes to them are the most effective witnesses to the gospel of free forgiveness of sins. It's an important point. You have to fight it every day. That is why we say you should get up every morning and preach the gospel to yourself. And I won't let a dog's voice come in. And I won't let the world, you know, my own flesh and Satan, that, do- that, that chief ark dog, take that from me. I have been justified by faith. And absolutely nothing can take away my right standing with God. Understand that? That question is over. (laughs) It's done. I'm not living under that pressure and bondage to try to please him to get there. That's over. You've already got heaven. It's already yours in principle. Paul helps them with this by using his own life. Listen. All right, let me help you with this for a minute. If you want to try that life, I'm going to lay out the problem for you. Every day I got up living under this weight of thinking that it was all about me, and it was all about me leading a life that was the most effective life and doing things for God to try to please God. Let me tell you what that looked like. Though Anyone else might have confidence in the flesh, verse 4. Just listen to my boast for a minute. I am of the people of Israel. I had all the privileges of being an Israelite by birth. That was me. And I was of the tribe of Benjamin. And I was, that was the tribe beloved by the Lord. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I had pure blood. And you know what? When it came to keeping the law, no one could touch me. I had seven accomplishments in my life. And, And I could see him pointing to all the Judaizers. None of you beat me. As a regard to the law of Pharisee, I was of the most prestigious, religious, devoted group in Israel. I excelled above them all. As for zeal, I put my beliefs into action. I was ready to destroy anything that was, I perceived, a danger to to the, the religion of the Pharisees. And finally, as to the righteousness of the law, I was blameless. And Paul says, if you looked at my life and all my conduct... I was playing religion. I was in it for the service of my own righteousness so that I'd be seen by others. But at the end of the day, there was no joy in that. You know what the fruits were? Bitterness, anger, fighting, and murder. Everything of value in this present evil age, everything it has to offer, along with all my advantages and status and material benefits and and comfort and honor, everything that I counted as absolute I, I took all that and counted it. I wrote it all off to gain Jesus.
0: A real challenge for us here today is we are reminded that, well, when we find ourselves in heaven, we will have found the price to have been cheap enough. All of these things we give up for the sake of Christ really do amount to nothing. It really is true what Jim Elliott said. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Well, this is Abounding Grace Radio with Pastor Chris Gordon. Our hope and prayers you've been encouraged by today's program. If you would like to take advantage of many of the resources we have available on our website, might I suggest paying us a visit? agradio.org. Videos hosted by Pastor Chris, articles written by Pastor Chris, past radio programs are housed there as well. Again, agradio.org. Plus, it's a great place to give tax-deductible donations to the radio ministry, as it is through those donations that we're able to continue on this radio station. Again, agradio.org. Or give us a call, 888-504-8805. Questions? Address them to questions at agradio.org. And don't forget, when you visit agradio.org, you'll find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram accounts as
1: well. Once again, here's Pastor Chris with a look ahead to tomorrow's program. Whatever he has put you through is not an indication of God's divine displeasure on you. You don't have to live trying to establish yourself that way. That's done. Stop. Stop. That's a hard thing to get into us. No wonder it leads to a bitter, angry, self-serving life that produces no fruits of righteousness. Joy is a disposition of the mind that drives the mind of a servant. This is what he's after here. (laughs) And joy is the engine that drives the sacrificial life. Do you understand that? It has to come from joy.
0: Abounding Grace is brought to you on this radio station by Abounding Grace Radio Ministries.
1: Hi, this is Chris Gordon, pastor of the Escondido United Reformed Church. I'd like to invite you to our Sunday worship services at 9.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. on Sunday. We have two worship services, 9.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. We preach Christ and Him crucified with the goal that you would live in the joy of this comfort in the knowledge of the forgiveness of all of your sins. 1864 North Broadway is the address here in Escondido. We'd love to see you this Sunday.